it always seems like the theme that uh, Pastor Terry chooses fits where I am in life. I don't know if it's God's sovereignty or, or ordained or something like that. I think we just plan it that way. Uh, but uh, the 2008 version of Jeff is, uh, I, I use the word, it's greatly enhanced. He, he's, he's, he's better in, in many ways, things, ways that you can actually see physically, you see. Now, I don't know if you notice, but uh, if you've been coming over the past, I think four or five years I've been here, this is actually the third different pair of glasses I've been wearing. <laughs> you see, the first one was that some tiny wire frames, and those will carry over from the 90s. We don't, we, don't, we don't want that anymore, you know? And we want the bigger plastic type, and uh, so I just got these, and I think they look really good for my face. When I saw them, <laughs> I, I asked the person at Costco, I brought up two, I said, which one should I? I says, that one. And I said, okay, that's okay. I'm also different, in terms of my, my choice of wardrobe is different. I don't know if you've been noticed, but, but it's, 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 uh, the, the light sometimes doesn't do justice. As people tell me that they look kind of gray, but these are brown pants. And you don't know how freeing it is to wear brown pants. Uh, 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 you know, you grow up in the blue jean age, black pants, things like that. And, and my daughter came back uh, from L.A., and uh, we went shopping, and she says, uh, Dad, you have to own a pair of brown pants. I said, brown pants? Brown pants? What am I doing wearing brown pants? He says, goes, brown is the new black. Brown is the new black. And so I said, okay, I'm going to, it's, it's sort of like, you know, bungee jumping, you know, uh, to, to wear a pair of brown pants. So I, I bought two pairs of brown pants, and I, I think they look really good, you know. Uh, and, 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 and they are really enhancing the way I feel and the, the way I look. But it's not all external, because we know as believers we don't care about externals, and it's not about how good you look or the bling you have around your neck and things like that. But I got to tell you, you know, if you have an option, to be spiritual and good-looking, check that option box, okay? Check it, check it, okay? It's not only a physical enhancement, it's a, a sort of a, a physiological enhancement too. So the new 2008 version actually is aerobically fit for the first time in my life. Uh, this past year, uh, just a month ago, I ran the San Francisco Marathon. And yeah, yeah please. you know, it's, it's like, uh, uh, and I did it with like some like, like homegrown training tech, Jeff Louis training technique that was so bizarre, you know. And uh, I didn't run really fast. So like, don't look at my finishing time amongst the Kenyans in the top. Uh, actually, in my division, the 71 and 74-year-old beat my time. Uh, so, you know, I just feel glad that I did my time, I did, I did it, and I finished the course, okay? So he's a little bit more physically fit. He's also, the new 2008 Jeff, is also noticeably wealthier. And the reason why, well, it's, I can't say he's wealthier now, he will be wealthier. And the reason is, is that my youngest daughter just graduated from college, <laughs> and I just finished this month. Actually, it was this month, it was, uh, 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 I, I handed over her last rent check for the apartment she was uh, staying at in Los Angeles because next week she starts a paying job. <laughs> oh, oh. You know, as believers, we're not supposed to like be greedy and materialistic, you know, better to give than to receive, but I'll tell you, it's better to save $1,000 a month, too, you know, uh, and it just feels really good, really good. 
Well, the 2008 Jeff is not only enhanced in those ways, he's also rested too because uh, the 2008 version is on this really extended sort of uh, 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 sabbatical at my church. I haven't preached in, in actually eight weeks and uh, uh, he's rested and uh, feel really good just goofing around, things like that. But in light of all these enhancements over the past 12 months, there is something in terms of an honest assessment of myself that I have to use a word that is not that, I don't know, nice to describe about oneself. And that word that I would use, and I was, I was trying to figure out what it was. And I said, should I use the word disturbed? No, that, that doesn't sound right. That sounds like it's right, right. Anxious? No, the word is restless. The 2008 version of Jeff is restless. Now, why, why, am I, why am I restless? It's because, I guess in various aspects, one is that my daughters have grown up working. I see my father, his life is coming to an end because of his age, and I'll explain more about later, later on. I've been doing pastor work for 25 years, a full time. And when you get to that season, on top of that, I'm in my 50s. You wonder and you think back, and I ask myself, did I do it right? And it's good that you think about that every so often. Because you think about it, and you will have time to set the course in a little bit better direction for the next segment of your life. You see, as a pastor, we think about different questions. You know, because you know, pastors, we, we, we're, 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 we're helping lead a church, and, and, and you know, I was talking to the, the, the pastor, uh, Terry, you know, we, 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 the things that come across our minds are very different than you normal people. <laughs> because, uh, uh, you, know, you know, normal people have different normal, normal uh, concerns. You know, we, we're concerns, it's like, are we leading the church in the right direction? Is this what God wants, you know? It's not that, you know, we're, we're, we're different, maybe we're just a little better, you know? And, 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 and we're, we're thinking about these things. And we're saying, you know, is, is, it, is this where we're, we're supposed to go? And, and after 25 years of ministry, I got to say, I got a length of regrets that would cover a whole page. Because, you know, you're in ministry, sometimes you're, you, in your own, how you approach ministry, you're always inundated with things to do, projects, things to help your church grow, uh, care for people. You're just filled with time, things like that. And then sometimes you see individuals who come to church, and, 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 and you yourself, we come for different reasons. Sometimes we come to church because we want a sense of community or friendship or relationship, which is a really, really good thing. Other people come to church for guidance and help over a problem in life, and that's a really good thing because the Word of God gives you plenty of guidance. Other people come to church to lead, to hear about the Word of God, to understand the theology of God, which is a very, very worthy thing. But I've come to understand after um, 25 years of ministry that perhaps, and this is hard to say, slightly missed the mark of what I am supposed to be. 
And I'll be really honest because I've been grappling with this for the last you know, year and few years, that if I have a chance to write the course, what would I be and how would I lead? Well, there's a number of things that I would do, but the one that I will talk about today focuses upon a passage of scripture that I will read from the book of Matthew. And I will read verses 14 to 16. It's, it's in your program. They'll have the last verse that I read uh, on the overhead there. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is an amazing verse because just prior to this, and it's included in the longer reading, Jesus begins this section by actually discussing persecution. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He talks about persecution, persecution. Because there are to be things that we hold and say that will not, 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 not agree with everybody. Nevertheless, Jesus ends this short section by saying, but there will be lots of things that the believer in Jesus Christ do that people will applaud regardless of whether they have the same religion, the same uh, political conviction, the same ideology, for the people of God will live a distinct way. So that even if they don't hold to your doctrine, they will see your life and say, that is amazing, and give praise to the Father, your Father, who is in heaven. So often in Christian existence, my time has been spent in building a church or helping people find their own path of success. When in reality, one of the emphasis that our Lord himself placed upon those who would understand him is that faith begs to be expressed amongst all people around us. What does that expression look like? And using the, the words there, a life worth giving, what does it look like when we give? Well, I want to talk about it in the remaining uh, sort of 20 minutes in three distinct uh, areas of life, from the very, very personal to uh, the relational to uh, the greater community. And you will see a continuum how the grace that we have in Jesus Christ, that our Lord wanted to be sort of a, 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 a starting point in which we interact and live and respond to everything that comes our way. If there is a word that captures the whole tenor of this message, it is grace lived. Grace lived. Now, what is the first sphere in which grace is lived? And what is, how does it relate to a life worth giving? Well, the first, I was thinking about it, the first area of life worth giving, I, I think, is, is, the, is the giving up of, of, of the hurt and of the anguish which I feel, and I know for myself, always 
kind of gets me down because I am a very, very emotional person. I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you. It is found in the book of Matthew. And I will read verses 21 to 20. It'll come up on the screen shortly. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seven times 70. Now, people say, well, that's, there's still a limit to that, 490. Actually, it's just symbolic of a, of a long period that you, that you can't uh, have a limit to how often, you, you, uh, uh, how often you should forgive somebody. And Jesus says, the first expression is in the area of forgiveness. When someone hurts you. As a matter of fact, as you understand grace, it is not just God forgiving you, but God is saying, if you really understood grace and understand every single thing in your life that you have done, whether you remember it, whether you have forgotten it, God has forgiven you. What does that do to you? Does that make you a more forgiving person? Because the first area of life worth giving is the area of personal hurt. And if you can't get past that first door, the other area is going to get very, very difficult. Now, here's the problem that I find in, in forgiveness. I divide it into theological or verbal forgiveness and an emotional forgiveness. Now, for me, theological or verbal forgiveness is something that I, I, I have no problem doing. Someone hurts me, okay, I abdicate the prayer to have a piano fall upon your head, okay? Or a muni bus slam into your car, okay? I'm actually gonna pray that God don't hurt you for what, the, the thing you did to me, okay? And if any of us pray that way, God is really happy that you let go of vengeance because that's the first gate you have to go through in forgiveness. You let go of vengeance. You don't want that person to be smite. You don't pray that type of thing anymore. You just say, Lord, I don't need retribution, bless that person. Now, I can do that. I can do that. And I think for many of us, we can do that. The thing that I have real trouble with is the emotional ramification of giving that, of forgiving that. Because I can forgive verbally and theologically, which is a good thing. but I can surely have the victim mentality and in some way feel horrible that it's almost a torture that God requires me to forgive somebody because just in my soul, I still ache. That's a very common thing because we remember the hurt greatly. I remember watching the Olympics and watching Michael Phelps. And now you don't know about Michael Phelps. He had ADHD, and he was told by almost everyone, you mount, never amount to anything. And he was tormented by people that he was growing up with. And he said, I remember everything that everyone ever did to me. Because it is hard to forget. For the believer, the giving up is not just the technical forgiveness, 
It is the hurt and the emotional forgiveness that comes, hopefully, as you mature. You know, I think of Jesus Christ, and when he was on the cross, he gives, utters this prayer to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what does that mean? Does he say, theologically, I ask that you forgive them, so don't hold it against them, but dang, <laughs> I, re I feel really miserable. It's not a good day for me. Look at these people, but forgive them, you know? No, 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 no. You see, that's how we forgive people. When Jesus forgave, I mean, there was a merging of the theological and the verbal and the heart thing. He let it go. He really let it go. One of the things that you will have understand a life worth giving is that you begin in that area. You don't know how to forgive in, and to grow in the emotional area. The, the other the, the parts of the message won't make any sense because it's a continuum. It's a continuum. Because who wants you to do some good deed to someone a thousand miles away? If you can't deal with the hurt that's within yourself with the person across sitting from you. From the personal realm, we now move to what I call the second realm that grace needs to be applied to. And that are the those are the close relationships we have in life. Now I didn't put it in the I didn't ask them to put put it in the program, but uh, I'll give you a short version. Of, of where I base this on. It's, it's based upon the, the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is six chapters long, and the first three chapters is theological about all the blessings we have in Christ and all the grace that we find in Christ. And the last three chapters of Ephesians uh, is, is applying that grace in life. Because for the Apostle Paul, the application of grace is of great importance to him. And in chapters 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul talks about the application of our faith in three important areas of life. One, parent-child. Two, husband-wife. Three, master-slave or the work relationship. And these are not inclusive of all of them. In sense, they are representative of all close, ongoing relationships we have in life. It's not the offensive one. It's not the stranger. It's the one in which we have to be with someone for years, decades, okay? I got to tell you, that for the believer, that for the person who does not uh, 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 profess a faith in Jesus Christ is one of the weak areas in life because it's almost always easier to show kindness and grace to someone who you do not know well than towards someone you know very, very well. I once read a book by a Dr. Good. He was a professor at UCLA, and, and he had a phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. And I said, wow, this, this, is, this, is, a, this, is, a crazy, this is a crazy statement. So what does it mean? He says, he says, because what happens is that when you know someone for a long time, you relax, and you become who you are, because you don't fool anybody anymore. It's like, you know, if you're in a relationship, the first uh, you know, year might be good, and the second year, like, wow, what is that? Because you relax, you know, that's the way the world is. And, and since everyone's kind of decrepit in our own way, man, after, after, after a while, man, that comes out. You can't hold your breath forever, you know? That, 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 that's the thing, you know? And it's family, it happens like that. Can't hold your breath forever. Can't hold your breath forever, you know? In work, same thing. Can't hold your breath forever. Who you are is going to come out, whether you like it or not, you know? And who you are, really, I mean, we're imperfect. And familiarity breeds contempt. And so there's a common phenomena 
regardless of the faith you have, is that the better you know someone, the greater the chance you'll be less patient with them, more frank with them, and take them for granted. It's the way it is. And when you understand that, then you see how the Apostle Paul is such a refreshing ray of light in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. For he de de describes these close areas of life and says, you know, for the believers in Jesus Christ, what you need to do is understand the grace of God in these areas. And they all have different responsibilities. But regardless of where you are in the responsibilities, there is a mutual submission to each other for there needs to be a giving up of something in close relationships to manifest the grace of God. In light of the theme of life worth living, the life I would change that word is an ego worth giving. The first point was a hurt worth giving, the second is an ego worth giving. And sometimes in the closer relationships, over time, certain patterns develop. Now, I've got to tell you, when I give messages, I always reflect upon my own life. And the story that comes to mind is um, my relationship with my father. We had just come back from New York City two weeks ago. And for those of you who don't know, I am a native New Yorker. I was born in Manhattan General, went to high school and college in New York. True New Yorker, not like wannabe New Yorkers. They just buy some New York Yankee cap, you know, and they think that they're, 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 they're New Yorker, you know. <laughs> No, 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 we're, we're beyond, New Yorkers are beyond that, man, you know. So uh, we just came back from New York, and, and one of the reasons why is because my father is 87, and he's, he's older, he has diabetes, blind, and, 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 uh, uh, and we're saying, you know, I don't know if we could, we, he's going to live that much longer, so we, we got my daughter's, daughter's husband, daughter's boyfriend, we all went to New York to see him. And uh, you have to understand that uh, I love my parents. I'd do anything that they would ask of me. But in the same sense, I can't spend too much time with them. <laughs> okay. Okay, got you understand. I, 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 I made a love connection somewhere with you guys. Uh, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're like 30 to 40 years older than me. Okay, so there's, there's a generation gap. There's a cultural gap, too, from my, from my mother's side, because she was born in the old country. And then there's a cultural gap because my father was born during the Depression time. The U.S. was very, very different back then. And so uh, when we was, went to New York, uh, we stayed with very close friends um, called, on the city called Hastings on the Hudson. And I saw my father three times. Because I, you know, I love my parents, but I would rather stay with friends. <laughs> Which is a strange thing. Strange thing. Well, I do the normal thing. We take my father out to dinner, and I, I, I do paint his garage. I do a lot of chores when I go to my father's place. Well, last week, I was talking to my father on the phone, and I was updating him. I was, we were talking about his health, and it's not doing well. He has to go through surgery, some heart, his, his diabetes bad, amputation of, of, of part of his foot. And he said to me, Jeff, when are you going to come back and visit? 
And I said to, I said to him, I said, didn't I, just, didn't I just come? Didn't I see you last week? You know? And, and here it is. I had that DMV renewal of your license plate mentality when it came to my father. You get the stamp, it's good for one year, right? It's good for one year, right? And you know, you, 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 you do it and you get the stamp. I said, look, I, I got the stamp. Didn't, didn't, it's not even good for, didn't I, didn't I just come? Didn't I just come? Isn't that good for another year? And actually, I said to him, I think I might be able to come next summer. Told him, told him, right, DMV. And uh, he says, well, that's a long time from now. Which in, means, can't you come any sooner? And I said to my wife, I said, we never talked that way before. I think he sees the end of his life coming because he's in very, very bad health. So what should I do? My wife said, I think you, could, you need to see him more often. I think you need to call him up more often. I think you got to do that. Which is a big difference because, you know, from the responsibility once a year DMV mentality, that's what I've done, it's good for a year, you know, actually, that is not grace at all. Theologically, that's law. That is what was required of you. You hit a gray zone when you go beyond that and you want to do it. Not that it is required or forced of you, but because you understand you are giving up something, you're giving up your ego. In the closest relationships you will have in life, be it boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, child, parent, worker, co-worker, it'll always be ego. Ego. You got to give that up. And I'm learning that, the 2008 version. The third area that you give up, worth giving, and it's worth giving because all extension of grace is community. And the people around you that you do not know, but people who are in need, be it in the block that you live or the city that you dwell in. Job chapter 31 one of my favorite passages of scripture. Job, it is well known as a book where uh, the writer, or I don't know if he's not the writer, uh, but, but, the, but the star experiences all these sort of tragedies that were um, sort of not warranted in his eyes. And in the early 30 chapters, 30s, Job finally gets the courage to present a personal defense of himself before God. It's a very strong and powerful chapter. Because actually, God thinks very, very highly of Job. In Job chapter 1, God actually boasts before Satan that Job is like the best follower of God that has, that has ever lived. Okay, And in 31, Job gives these words. And, and it's what's remarkable. I'm going to just read some. Job 31, verse 16, it goes like this. If I have kept the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the orphan has not shared it, 
If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or that needy had no covering, if his loins had not thanked me, and if he has not been warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted my hand against the orphan because I had support in the gate, let my shoulder fall from the socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow. Now, if that is not a, 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 a sort of like a draw a line in the sand before God, I don't know what it is, you see. And, and this is remarkable because when we do acts of mercy and grace, we often do it in, in sort of a token manner. Oh, remember the project we did this? We all gathered, we gave blankets. We, oh, yeah, I remember going there. We, we you know, gave food to the poor. We did some missions work and things like that. Remember that? You know, as we're drinking latte at Starbucks or something. You know, yeah, it was a wonderful time, you know? For Job, he says, God, do you remember a time when I didn't do it? Because if you can, rip my arm off my body. You're talking about a man possessed by expressing grace to those in need around him. We do things because of tokenism, or we say things and we never act upon them. I know for myself, I've never been raised to care for the poor. It was not in the culture that I was raised. In my ministry, it was with middle class, upper middle class people. And I wonder, how come I don't care for the poor like Job did? I find myself having to actually work at it. For the past couple of years, I've been volunteering with San Francisco Connect, which is a program by Gavin Newsom, to help the homeless in the city of San Francisco at the Bill Graham Auditorium. And they require, they, it's just all voluntary things. And I always volunteer for street outreach, which is to go to the Tenderloin. And Tenderloin is a like, really difficult place because it's not only homeless, it's drug addicted homeless. It's, just really, it's really difficult. You're trying to get them to come and get services. He said, why do I do it? And I said, because I need to learn how to love poor people. Why? Not that it earns my salvation. It's because it reflects who Jesus is the most. And it's a continuum from understanding the grace that you have received to the hurt giving up, to the ego giving up in relationships that are close, and then to the stranger. And it's continuum. It cannot be seen as a simple act or task you do to sign up, but it is a part of who you are now in Jesus Christ, because in Jesus Christ, you, we have received something of incredible worth and incredible value because we have a life worth giving because Jesus Christ gave up his life for me. And if I live that way, 
only to get advice in how I can be more successful in life, there is something wrong with my faith. Because I do not understand the impact of grace that I have received and is applied to people around us. I don't know what the 2009 version of Jeff will be, but we are all a work in progress. You just need to be honest with yourself and open to God. We're going to end the service soon, and we will have one more song and at that time, we will also uh, collect and receive the offering. But before that, I'm just going to close in prayer. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, in all things we give thanks. In all things, your grace is seen in our lives. And may this congregation that, wor that worships at Cornerstone Church May those who see their lives see their good works and praise our Father in heaven because we live the faith based upon the graciousness that we have all received. In Jesus we pray. Amen.